0: And I want to talk this morning about how to prepare to meet Jesus. Um, If you kind of think about where we've come in chapter 24, Jesus has been talking a lot about end times and second coming and giving his disciples a little bit of understanding about what to expect, when to expect it. And and so that theme continues this morning as he he begins to tell them that they have to be prepared. They need to always be prepared. Um, in my life, I've met people who seem to always be prepared for anything. Um, I'm not one of those people. I'm kind of the the, the opposite of that. I'm I'm more of a, we'll figure it out. That's future Mikey's problem, right? I'm I'm just, I'm I'm usually not prepared for things. And, um, like we were talking about, the youth group, um, are gone, uh, you know, gone to camp. And so, um. Uh, Joe and Lucy and I decided that we were going to go up to Santee State Park this weekend, and we've been camping up there over the weekend. Just that way, I don't break anything at home, and everything stays clean. Um, so, uh, but but when we go camping, we, you know, we we've got the the camper that you pull behind the the vehicle, and preparation for that for me is like nah, whatever. We'll you throw some clothes in there. If we don't have it, the truck's right there, the store's right down the road, it's two miles away. So, you know, I'm just not huge on preparing for stuff. And inevitably, we get there and say, oh yeah, we should have got groceries. So we go to the grocery store, right? And, um, but, but then there's, there's another kind of camping that we do in my family is backpacking. Backpacking's completely different because when you go backpacking, you're, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna put this heavy pack on, you're gonna hike miles out in the wood to some remote location, you're gonna get there and set everything up. And if you realize at that point that you forgot something critical to the trip, it's going to be a very bad day. And so I prepare for backpacking completely different than if I'm just going out in the camper. And spreadsheets are involved. All of a sudden, this guy who doesn't prepare for anything becomes this methodical preparer. And, and, and so what's, what's the reason? Why, 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 would I, why would I prepare differently for both those kinds of things? And the answer to that is because the stakes are so much higher when I go backpacking, right? If I get out there and it's 30 degrees and I forgot something to start a fire and I didn't bring a sleeping bag, then it's going to be a really long night or I'm going to immediately have to turn around and and, and head back out. So Jesus knows that I think our nature is to not want to prepare for things. And so when he teaches things like what he's going to teach today in this parable, it's not necessarily the first time he's taught it. He teaches us these things over and over again, and I think to get to the heart of it, what he wants us to see is that we need to prepare now, here and now, for Jesus to return, and that's what he wants his disciples to do. If you think back to the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus closed the Sermon on the Mount, he said um, he he was describing a picture of a of a, of a mob or a crowd moving down out, down this road, the broad road, he called it, and he said that there was a narrow gate off that road, and few people will find that narrow gate. And it was a, it's one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture to, to really get your arms around because it's, it's alarming that so many people believe they're headed toward God and His kingdom when the, when the reality of Scripture says that it's, few are going to find it. And that's what we learned at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I mention that because this parable essentially will teach the same thing. It's almost, at the end of the parable, you heard this, the scripture read, it's almost the same words used at the end of this parable that were used at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's important that we, we realize Je- Jesus, he, he knows we don't want to prepare. He knows we're going to procrastinate. And so He's teaching these things over and over again. So let's look there again in verse 1, chapter 25, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So, so right off the bat, again, Jesus tells us what the parable is going to be about. We don't have to wonder what, what's, he, what's he talking about here. He says this, this story is meant to represent the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. So he's talking about this future state kingdom that is being built even now and is being built today of God's rule and reign of his people, right? The assembling together of the kingdom of God. And and so so Jesus, as he tells the story, he's saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is is going to be like, or this is what it is like. Um, And then then he tells the story. Now, the story, I think we have to, um, if you think back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, Um, We've all written papers in school, right? We had to write an essay or something. And and, and what they tell you when you write an essay is you have to have a thesis, right? And, and, And the thesis is like the sentence or two that completely describes your entire story. The thesis for this parable is back in Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. Jesus said, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So that's the thesis for this parable. This whole parable is doing nothing but expounding on the reality that there's a second coming, Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back in a time and a place where you don't know. Um, and, and, and to kind of understand what's happening in the story, you need to understand a little bit about ancient Jewish wedding practices. Um, the way they worked was the, the wedding ceremony, the, 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 the bridesmaids, if you will, who, who, the, who the text calls versions, these bridesmaids would be at the bride's home to start, before the wedding had started. And there they were preparing for the wedding, they were getting everything ready. And so these bridesmaids were there and they would wait there till some not necessarily specific time when the, when the groom finally shows up from doing whatever grooms do before wedding. He shows up, and, 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 and once he shows up there with the wedding party, the party would then there would be a procession, where the where the party would move from the bride from the home of the bride's family to the home of the groom's family. So it was almost like a parade, where all right now everybody's together. We got the groom, we got the the bridesmaids, the brides, and we all collectively move to the groom's house, where there where there would be this this big feast. And so that's what's happening as as we as we read, um, as we as we read through the read through the story. So this, this, um, this parade, would be a, it would be a great honor, right? This would be a celebration and honor of, of, of the thing that was going to take place. And so that's why you see things like they have these, these torches or lamps that they'll be, they'll be carrying in that procession from one home to the other. Uh, so so verse, verse 2 tells us a little bit about the wedding party. It says, five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. What's interesting is um, we, we, have, we have these ten bridesmaids, and they all appear to be ready for the wedding. Right? They've, they've at least all, in some capacity, they have, they have a lamp um, with them. And, 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 and assumingly, we're thinking that they're ready for the wedding. But what Jesus tells us in verse 2 is that they, the, the two groups really couldn't be more different because five of them, it says, are foolish, and five of them are wise. Now I'm an engineer and whenever there's numbers all of a sudden I just go down a road that I sometimes don't come back out of. But so so I'm looking at this number 5 5 or foolish 5 are wise and I'm thinking is there something to that is, is Jesus it, he could have used any any ratio that he wanted to. He could have said two were foolish and eight were wise or 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 whatever combination he could he could have, he could have he could have chosen anything, but, but he, he chose a 50-50 split of wise to foolish. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into that. But I wonder if what Jesus is saying is, if you take a group who seemingly thinks that they're all headed toward the kingdom of God, is he telling us that maybe 50% of them aren't really going there? I don't know. But I, 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 think, it's, I think it's something to, worth thinking about. <clears throat> If you go back to that Sermon on the Mount, he, he certainly said that few find the kingdom. So, so I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that, that Jesus is alluding to the fact that there's a, there's a good many people who think that they're part of the wedding party who aren't going to make it. And so we see, in, uh, let's move down to, to verse 3 and 4. It says, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So, so we think about the thing that separates the foolish from the wise is the fact that they prepared by bringing oil. Um, the, 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 the entire wedding party clearly knows how these lamps work, but at least half of them, we don't know if they procrastinated, if they just weren't concerned enough to do it, or what the reason was, but they, they bring a lamp and they don't bring any, any oil. And if you were to light a lamp that didn't have any oil in the tank, the wick would just instantly be consumed, and it would burn out. And I think this parable, i am not to allegorize every detail of the parable, but I think this oil in the lamp represents the Holy Spirit filling one's heart. right? And the Holy Spirit fills one's heart, and it's a flame that doesn't go out. It's a flame that continues to burn on and on and on. So I think, I think what Jesus is saying is that five of these people have the Holy Spirit living in their heart, and then five of them have, have either deceived themselves or in some way they're, they, they, don't have the, they don't have the oil, they don't have the fire that burns inside of them. I think as, as a church, we have to be very careful um, with with how we treat the world, because we want to be inviting to the world, we want the we want lost people to feel comfortable enough to come in, and, and so that we can minister to them, so that we can um, share the gospel, the good news. But I think sometimes with the best of intentions, that we we make church collectively across. The, I'm not talking here locally, but as a larger group, we make church really comfortable for lost people and we and we do things like pass over difficult passages of scripture that may be offensive, or we 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 bend our theology a little bit to accommodate people who want to come in and be a part and I think sometimes with the best of intentions and in the name of gentleness we 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 do that, and what what ends up happening is we get this pollution of the body that of of the true body of Christ where it's 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 no longer a collection of believers but it's 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 believers scattered in among the tares right collectively and I, I think a lot of times we 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 mean we mean well when we do those things but we have to be very 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 careful because Jesus says there's a day coming when i'm going to separate the wheat and the tares right and i'm the one who can who can do that and so that's the picture that we have in this wedding party is it's a mixture of, of true believers and, and not true believers. <clears throat> uh, go down to verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. <clears throat> so this uh, bridegroom is, he's taken a while, right? And, and, and I think Jesus is illustrating to the point back, if you think to, to chapter 24, where he said, um, you, he, He's coming in an hour you do not expect. So so, so the reality is they were probably all expecting the bride, bridegroom to come pretty quickly, but when that doesn't happen, they begin to sleep. And I don't think it's necessarily he's trying to communicate anything um, negative that they sleep. The reality is like the true believers slept and the false converts slept. They were all tired because it was midnight, and that's what people do at midnight, they sleep. So I don't necessarily think it's anything negative, but the reality and what he's underscoring here is there's a delay. It's going to happen um, when you you don't expect it. So um, uh, Matthew 24, 44 said, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So that's the illustration here. He's delayed. He's coming in an hour that you don't expect. And then verse 6 says, But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. <clears throat> so it's it's midnight when the when the bridegroom finally arrives, and it's the hour that is least expected. <clears throat> so there, there, there's kind of an interesting pivot in the story at this point because we were c- compelling you to to prepare, right? That, 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 that's that's the where I want to go with the sermon. Is is now is the time for preparation, but here in the story. The time for preparation is over. There's, there's no more preparation that can happen. It's, it, it's, like, it's like the entire mood shifts at this point because no longer can they get oil. No longer can they get ready for the wedding. <clears throat> it says in verse 7 and 8, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. You know, almost sense panic is starting to set in <clears throat> as they as they try to figure out. Oh no, what are we going to do? We we thought we we thought we'd, we thought have more time. Whatever it was, we, there's no way for us to get the oil now. Now that the panic is, is kind of starting to set in among uh, among the wedding party, it's it's like when I talked about going camping, right? It's it's like when I'm camping in, in the camper. I, there's a certain comfort in knowing. I can just go to the store whenever I need to. I don't have to worry about the things I need because I can just run and get it. It's it's the same kind of comfort now suddenly taken away as they realize, "Uh uh-oh, that's not an option. And then uh, verse 9, it says, But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. So the situation here is they... They, they don't have any oil, they they look around to somebody and they go, can you give me your oil, I'm out of, could we share the oil, and, and, and the answer comes back, no there's, there's no, there's simply not enough oil to go around, there's no way that I can have oil and, and you can have oil too, there's not enough oil. And so, they, they suggest that you go out and, 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 and buy your own oil at, at midnight, right, that's not going to work. Um... I think there's an interesting picture here and and what Jesus is is trying to show us is that you don't get into the kingdom with somebody else's oil. Right? It doesn't matter if if grandma was a true believer or if mom or dad are true believers or, or maybe your siblings. It doesn't matter how many true believers we surround ourselves with. At the end of the day, it comes down to what's in your lamp. Is it... Is it? Is it? Does it have oil? <clears throat> I was thinking about um, th- uh, going to a theme park, right? If you've ever been to like Disneyland or or uh, Dollywood or Disney World or wherever, um, it's, they're all kind of the same in this aspect. But you know, you, you there, there's hu- usually a huge parking lots and people are. If you get there at opening, right? There's kind of. The, the people are filtering into this one common entrance where everybody, everybody's, all these big groups, they're coming in buses, they're coming in cars, but we're all moving to this one spot. And this big group at opening is all funneling down to a narrower and narrower, narrower smaller funnel. <clears throat> and so eventually you get to the, to the person who you hand the ticket to, and they have that little turnstile, you know what I'm talking about? That, that little arm that like clicks over when you walk through it, and you step through. Those things are really narrow. There's only one person that fits in that. It, it, it's it's kind of like that with the kingdom of, of heaven. Right? You, don't, you don't get to bring your child in there with you and step through together. It's, 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 it's every person steps through the kingdom one time. <clears throat> in uh, verse 10 it says, And while they were... While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. So they do attempt to go, thank you, to um, To go buy some oil. They have to question whether or not that's going to be successful at midnight, right? Because there's probably not a lot of shops that are open and I would imagine that... Um, and we know from the text that, that it's not gonna. Thank you. It's not going to, um, not going to produce very much oil. So, um, but but the wedding goes on as planned. You'll, you'll notice there's not a um, there's not a ringing of hands by the by the bridegroom. Oh, what are we going to do because um, because now our wedding party's cut in half. You didn't see that, right? Party went on his plan. The the, the 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 feast was set, and the and the door was sealed. Because ultimately, God's kingdom is going to built be built perfectly, according to God's will. And so He's in control of that, and He's not wringing His hands over those who didn't prepare. They're simply the door shut, and it's locked. And in verse eleven, afterwards, the virgins also came, also saying, "Lord, open to us." But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. There it is. Same same ending as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus' entire point in this entire parable is is in verse 13. He says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He's saying, now is the time to prepare. You don't, you don't know when this is going to happen. What The only thing you do know is this is going to happen in a time when you don't expect it to happen, and you must be prepared. So I wrote down, how do I prepare? What do I do? Maybe you're here, and you, you're like, uh-oh, I haven't prepared. What do you want me to do? I, I wrote down a list, four things. Um, this is not all inclusive, and it's um, possibly incomplete, but... I think I've got the major things that if, if, if I were to just walk up to a man on the street and he says, what do I, how do I prepare to meet Jesus? I think these are the four things that I would tell him. Step one, you must be born again. If you, if you think back to John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus has this exact same question. He's like, Jesus, what do I do? Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And then this completely confuses Nicodemus because he's like, what, what, what does that even mean? I don't know what that means. And, and Jesus goes on to explain that there's a birth, there's a supernatural birth that comes from the spirit in the same way that there's a physical birth in which we're born into a physical world. And that, that spiritual birth is something supernatural that's produced by the Holy Spirit. And so step one is that we must be born again. And if you're not born again, then that's when you cry out to God and you say, God, I repent of my sin. I believe I need, I need a new heart. I need you to take out my heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. I need to be born again. That's us crying out to God and his spirit, answering that cry with that spiritual birth. So I think, I think that's step one. You, if you don't do step one, nothing else matters. You can't, all the preparation in the world will not get you anywhere. If you're not born again, so that base is covered. I would say step two is develop spiritual discipline, and th- that's kind of a big umbrella of things that are spiritual disciplines. And in, in, um, I, th- I kind of summarized it with First uh, Timothy uh, chapter four verses seven and eight because I really like this picture. Um, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Don't worry about all the silly stuff out there. Rather, train your, train yourself, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, so what what the, what the writer's saying there is. Yeah, it's uh, physical exercise is good. In the same way that an athlete prepares for a race, an event, whatever it is, in the same way that preparation happens, once you're born again, you need to start preparing in that way. You need to train yourself in athletically, spiritually, in how you read your Bible, in how you pray, in how you fast, in how you do all the things that are under that umbrella of spiritual discipline. And you're not going to know how to do that. And so that's where discipleship comes in. That's where somebody comes alongside of us and says, "You know what? I don't know how to do it that great either, but we'll we'll do it together." And we and we we learn from each other. We lift each other up. And that that picture of side by side discipleship is um is critical for that developed spiritual discipline. <clears throat> and then step three. This is a big one. Persevere in trials to the end. As you're. As you're training yourself spiritually, as you're flexing those spiritual muscles and lifting those spiritual dumbbells, inevitably what's going to happen is trials are going to come and things are going to get bad. And when those things get bad is when you get to test the, 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 the advantages of all that spiritual discipline come to the rescue and get you through that. In this 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, I just want you to listen to the relationship between trials and faith, and why I have it on this list. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, right? so we've been grieved by trials. Peter says, now I'm going to tell you why you were grieved by trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's that that faith that that is tested by fire, and, and, and once you're on the other side of that trial and you look back and you see that that faith is still intact, it's not shaken, and it's probably stronger than it ever was, that you have the assurance of your salvation. It's it's by that endurance, by that perseverance to the end that we know that the oil in the lamp is, is there. And it brings for, it, it, it's why Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when they persecute you, when they revile you, when they say all kinds of bad things about you. Th- 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 blessed are you in those, well, that that literally means ha- happy are you. You you could, The only way that it makes sense to find joy in persecution is that if you realize the the, the 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 source of that joy and persecution is ultimately producing something inside of you that's that's going to endure much longer than this world does. So persevere to the end, and then fourthly, live out the great commission. So, so, and, and Jesus told us to watch, right? We, as we're as we're here, even today, waiting on this bridegroom, we don't just twiddle our thumbs, right? We're, we're to busy ourselves with, with the work of the church, with fulfilling the great commission, and, and making sure that the kingdom is the, the good news of the kingdom is going out to all parts of the world. So that, that that's the four things um, that I have. Um, and if the musicians would begin to make your way down, I'm going to um, I'm going to close up here. Um. If you're here today and and, and and maybe that discussion about preparation was something you were thinking about. Today is a day of preparation. The, the time will come when you won't be able to prepare anymore. And, and and the last thing I want is for anybody to be panicked in that day because because today is the day of salvation. Today's a day when we can reach out, we can Cry out to God, and He will faithfully answer us in those in those times so this is this is the time of the service where we have um, decision uh, decision time and I'll, I'll be down front um, if anybody wants to to pray there's others in the room uh, who, who, who would I know would be honored to pray with you, but um, whatever that decision looks like for you maybe maybe it's just um, maybe, maybe it's a time of, of repentance and, and as we Partake the Lord's Supper, and we we think about how that oil gets in that lamp to begin with, right? It, it didn't come freely. Our salvation came through Christ's blood that was shed for us, and His body that was broken for us. So, so we we're going to be remembering that during this time. And so, um, you don't have to be a member here if uh, to partake in the Lord's Supper. You um you do have to be a, a believer in good standing, um, with God. So. So those, those things will all be happening and, and, and by all means, I'll be here after church if anybody uh, wants to talk or, or anything like that. so if you would go ahead and stand and I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then and then we'll we'll go. Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you so much for, for your word um, even when it's hard to hear, uh, we know that um, we know that you use it Lord and um, in these difficult passages, that, uh, or they just seem they just seem heavy, and it, it, we we know that uh, God ultimately we are to to search ourselves and to ask ourselves the question to evaluate whether we're in the faith. And so um, this morning I'd ask that just your Spirit, God, you just you just confront us with um, with the reality of who we are as we stand before you, uh, God, that we would. Just cry out to be filled with the spirit if we're not, or um god even even if, even if we are are and and Lord, maybe it's just sin, the burden of sin has just weighed us down to the point where um we're just we're just not producing. I just pray that um this this would be a time of repentance, uh God where we just confess sin and um God, just, you just welcome us back into your arms, as, as we know you will as a loving Father. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for this time of worship. And, and, and now we just um, we turn it over to you, Lord, and, and, and we know that you are faithful. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.